Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish. Trish, I like to grill. I like to cook a little bit. I'm trying to become a better all-around cook. So tell me, Trish, what is the best dish or recipe you make at home or the one your friends and family always ask you to make for them? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, oddly, it is chicken enchiladas. All right, that sounds really good. And super easy too. I mean, I, I can, uh, I'll tweet the recipe. How about that? It's wow, super easy. It takes, I, I think that's the bonus. It takes me maybe 20 minutes to make and throw it in the oven and then everyone raves over it. So yes. Right. How about oh. you? Well, uh, I, the only thing I know how to do is grill. So uh, I'm very good. I'm, I, I'd say steaks, simply enough. They're easy to cook, okay. I think, but also easy to screw up. I feel like I have perfected about any type of steak. So that's what I would say. Yeah. Okay, my only steak question for you, because I, I am known to not do them as well. Do you put butter on top of the steak after you Sometimes. cook it, before you cook it? Is that a thing? I've after, heard that. not before, no, after. Okay. Maybe a little compound butter you can mix up, get a little herb going, a little garlic in there, mix that okay. up beforehand, melt that over on, on the end. Yeah. Very good. Good stuff. Well, chicken enchiladas. Uh, next time we have an H3 HR offsite, and bring some. That'd be awesome. I'll I'll share the recipe. <laughs> cool, Trish. We got a great show today. I'm super excited. Uh, we Me have uh, we are talking to Derek Irvine from Work Human. Derek is the senior vice president of client strategy and consulting at Work Human. Derek leads the company's inside consulting division. In this role, he helps clients, including some of the world's most admired companies, leverage proven recognition strategies and best practices to elevate employee engagement, increase retention, and improve bottom line results. In addition to leading consulting services for WorkHuman, Derek also oversaw the company's marketing and rewards function from 2000 to 2010. Derek is one of the world's foremost experts on employee recognition and engagement, helping business leaders set a higher vision and ambition for their company culture. Derek, welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. How are you today? I'm very well indeed. Thank you for having me. Am I allowed to say my favorite dishes? Yeah, you, we love to when we ask our guests to join in on the random question of the day. So what is it? Uh, well, for me, I love making a tortilla espanol, which is a Ooh. Spanish omelette. Uh, and anybody who's traveled to Spain will know it's that thin slices of the dato with onions and Ooh. eggs. And it, it becomes like a cake, this thick cake. And what I love about it is that it's equally delicious eaten in the first sort of 30 minutes and even more delicious eaten like the next day or the next day again. <laughs> really? I love it. I, love it. Yeah, I we feel were like we're, we're having a theme, Derek, you and I. <laughs> yeah, we were chatting in the pre-show. Derek's actually in Spain right now, which uh, one of my absolute favorite places to visit. Uh, I've, I've been lucky enough to get there a couple of times. And uh, Derek, how's, how are things in Spain? Are we still like uh, kind of stuck in place there or how, how, yeah. how's the climate there? I mean, it's been much like uh, everywhere in the world. I think, I think the news now is, is regional outbreaks. You know, at first when we were all dealing with this, it, it was by the whole country and we had a, a, an enormous lockdown for the whole country. But now it's really regions. Uh, so they've, they've had a particularly difficult time in Madrid in the capital. Uh, we had a, a little bit of a difficult time about four to five weeks ago when we were going up and up and up in terms of number of cases. But I'm glad to report people are behaving and the cases are coming down, 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 down. So it does seem like when, when we behave, we can get control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. 
That's hard to do though. I think that we're seeing that here as well. It's things will start getting better, but that's when people get comfortable and then they start going out without masks and, and so forth. I will say though, I'm, I'm seeing at least where I live more and more people, it's like almost everyone will have a mask. It's now unusual not to, which is good. That's a good sign. It's completely mandatory here now. So everywhere you go, you've got to pop it on. Yeah. yeah. So Derek, we are here today to talk to you about something really exciting as we speak. Just launched last week, the new book called Making Work Human. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that book and kind of maybe some of the impetus behind writing that book and releasing it here in October of 2020. Yes, well, I think um, when we think about what's happening in the world at the moment, more than ever, we need our workplaces to feel filled with humanity because we all have had to go through this enormous digital pivot where we're pushed to our homes and we can't get the opportunity to physically connect to each other. Those spontaneous moments are really difficult. So more than ever, we need a, a lot of connection in, in, in our workplace. But even before COVID came along, um, you know, we saw a lot of things like yourselves in the workplace, more remote working generally anyway, uh, the rise, continuous rise of artificial intelligence and robots and computing technology. And it was obvious, I think, to everybody that as we worked in agile teams, which were made up of different geographies, that human connection was really important in the workplace. We, you know, it, it, it's almost like there's been an awakening that we weren't going to succeed any longer if we continued to put in place more bureaucracy or we continued to put in place more project management software. What we needed to put in place was more humanity. Um, so that's almost like a huge awakening that everybody realized, you know, we're in a decade where as technology rises, humanity is rising up too to equally meet it. And that's the inspiration behind the book. Uh, as you know, we're also the founders of a movement, which has been an annual conference we've had for the last six years on exactly this theme. Uh, as to the conference, you know, was, has been a huge success. And it just seemed to be a natural conclusion to take all the learnings and the insights of how do we make work more human? How do we bring that connection and to turn it into a book? You know what, Derek, I, I love that you're talking about both the, the event and the book because it, it just became a way of people wanting to work, right? It, it became a way of life. And little did you know that, you know, six years later, this would be what we would, would need as a, as a world community, as a world of work community. What type of feedback are you getting from maybe past attendees or current customers or even maybe people who've read, um, you know, some of the books that have come out of, of Work Human, both yours and Eric's and, and that sort of thing? What kind of feedback are you getting about just this idea of working more human? And I like how you talked about sort of that connection and awakening, because I think that for a lot of people, it feels like it's brand new, but really you've all been doing this for quite a while. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, when we look back and COVID is finally gone and solved, mm -hmm. I think one of the gifts it will have given us is this rapid awakening to the need to truly connect to each other as, as human beings, because we're doing it now on Zoom, we're doing it on conference calls, and we see the inadequacies, we see the, the difficulties that that creates. Um, so as a result, I think, you know, where we are all absorbing and rushing towards things that can help alleviate that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's exactly what we describe in the book is that through our, our, our last 20 years, you could say working with some of the most admired companies, our last six years working with a lot of thought leaders and innovators at the conference, 
We've distilled down in the book three really powerful words that can help create that human connection, whether it's virtual or, 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 or in person. And the three words we talk about in the book are thanking each other authentically and often, talking to each other in a continuous feedback fashion, and then celebrating things together. You know, we, we got to celebrate now that we are, there's no sort of work-life differentiation, there's just life. It's really important that we celebrate the things that are happening in our lives too, the births, the graduations, the driving, a, a passing a driving test, whatever it happens to be. So that's what we talk a lot about in the book are those three powerful words. Yeah, there's two areas of the book we wanted to get into a little bit. The first one is a section called Humans at Work, right? And that seems, okay, we're all humans, we're all at work, but I'm, I'm certain that's not exactly what you're talking about here. Like, Maybe you could share us a little bit of some of uh, the thoughts around that and what, what we're really talking about when we're talking about being human at work and, and sort of a workplace where humans can be celebrated and thanked, uh, as you discussed. Yeah. But I think if you look at the evolution of how human resources has talked about our people, you know, I mean, there's the, there you go, HR, human resources, there's uh, human capital, which is a very kind of they term. You know, it's, it's us as leaders doing something to them. Then you fast forward even to employee experience. And I still think employee experience isn't quite right. I still think it's a they uh, term, where it's leaders thinking about how can we create an employee experience for them. Whereas what I see us fast moving towards is human experience. Uh, an end-to-end -end human experience, which is now, I think, an us term, that we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. And the good news about human experience is, well, because we're all humans, we come already pre-trained in knowing what that feels like. But in the world of work before, you know, we used to have to arrive at the reception of a workplace and we would kind of check in that real human self and we would go in and we would, we would act out some other behavior. So when we talk about that um, in, in the book, you know, that's a lot of what we're talking about is our ability to not check ourselves in, to bring our honest self to the workplace as diverse and as, as talented as that is. Um, and for, you know, to expect that you would be able to go to a workplace where that would be welcomed, because I think we know that workplaces that in welcome and embrace diversity and belonging, well, they're the ones that also do tend to thrive. Yeah, such a good point. You know, Derek, I wonder too, part of it for me, even personally, or maybe others I've worked with over the years is we were sort of raised up in, in work environments, many of us, where um, I was kind of making notes as you were talking. We were actually taught not to be personal, not to be too personal, um, especially in human resources. It was, you know, uh, to be buttoned up, to not be too caring, too into, you know, the employee's business, which puts that us and them mentality like firmly into place. Um, I know there are so many things in the book that, that can help address this. Can you maybe give a little, a little insight for us on if you're someone like me who was raised to be a little more removed personally and actually rewarded for that behavior for quite a while, how can, how can someone like me switch gears and be a little more personal and empathetic and, and just human? Yes. I mean, there's no doubt about it that there's a little bit of a generational difference, as, as you describe, as you know, the workplace has changed. And the newer generations, I think, just expect this greater openness. But I, I would focus in on, on a word of authenticity. I, I don't think, you know, the, it's not about probing into people's personal lives in order to find, you know, something that is unusual or, you know, it's about an authenticity. 
I want to help you do your best day's work. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when we look at survey upon survey, and we talk a lot about our research that we've done in the book with IBM at one point about two years ago, you know, where we discovered that employees desperately are seeking a level of trust with their leaderships. Uh, and how do you develop trust? You develop trust through connection. Uh, employees are also desperately seeking honest feedback. But I think feedback is one of these things that it can't just be given as developmental feedback right between the eyes straight away. You've got to earn the right to give that feedback. And you earn the right mm -hmm. to that feedback again through authentic connection. And one of the ways to build authentic connection is just by being more human that we're celebrating when you're doing the good things together. I think, you know, that's one of the things we talk a lot about in the book that thanking people often will give you the foundation to be able to move on then to the honest feedback. The other thing that employees are desperately looking for in the workplace is co-worker relationships that are good. The sense that I have friends at work uh, because we spend so much of our time in work. Isn't it important that you feel like you've got you know, they're not your, your buddy to necessarily play golf or tennis with, but they're the person that you feel you can open up and say, hey, I had a bit of a difficult weekend, but I'm looking forward to getting on with this project on Monday. I'm a little worried about it. Can you help me about it? You know, it's genuine relationship. So I think when we look at all those different things, trust, honest feedback, seeing who I am for who I am, as well as what I do, uh, as well as uh, uh, co-worker relationships, all of those things come when we're more authentic with each other, when we're more human with each other. Yeah, Derek, thank you so much. They don't come as a consequence of human resource management software. <laughs> thank you, yes, you're right. I like, just Steve, I know you've got another point, but just also, I love the fact that you said you need to earn the right. You earn the right through your authentic behavior. I'm gonna make note of that because I think that's so, so mm -hmm. important. No, what I was going to say was one of the fun things about doing this show, we've you know, done the show for a long time, we usually do about one per week, is a couple of weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago now, we had on a guest, Dr. Tony Orsini, who is a pediatric uh, neonatal, what was the word, just Neon neonatologist? Neonatologist, yes. And so the conversation was around having difficult conversations in the workplace, that was the theme of the conversation. And Dr. Orsini had spent his whole career giving parents like the worst possible news, like your infant baby, your brand new newborn is very, very ill. They may or may not even survive. Sometimes they didn't. But he specifically said many of the same things you just said, Derek, about the way to sort of get through those difficult conversations is by being authentic, being yes. open. And actually, and unlike what all the advice Trish had been given in her career and Dr. Orsini had been given through medical school, which don't get connected. Don't make it personal. Stay detached, right, from these these difficult conversations. And he said that's the absolute worst advice. That that because then you're not authentic, and no one really can have a really meaningful relationship. So I just find it interesting as we get to do these shows with so many different guests from different backgrounds. Derek, you're saying very much the same thing. This yeah. pediatric ICU doctor has told us three weeks ago was important. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the rise of robots, I think we have enough of kind of, uh, you know, high reality. It's the rise of humans, which is to bring forward our humanity. And I'm reminded of a story too that's in the book. The uh, American Surgeon General talks about one of the greatest pandemics right now is loneliness. And loneliness has enormous impacts in terms of depression, family crisis. And I think, you know, in, in the workplace, because we're together so often, it's one of the last great places where maybe we can impact positively 
by just bringing more of our humanity. You know, it's not about being a robot, deliver the project. You're a human too. And I want to value what you do. I want to see what you do. I want to celebrate what you do. I want to thank you. I want to talk authentically. But three really simple things to do to tackle that other pandemic. <laughs> no, I, you know, you mentioned loneliness and being able to sort of recognize that. And, and it is important. I think it's more important even now, right, that we are all sort of separated and um, not having those human connections as often as in the way that we were used to. One of the things we have used um, here at H3 has been Mood Tracker. And I know Steve mentioned it at the top, obviously Work Human has, has um, you know, put that out to the world. Can you talk a little bit about how something like that, obviously using a tool though, can really help maybe bridge some of those gaps that, that we're all having um, when we are lonely? Because that's, I don't know if I think back to jobs I've had where I would have gone to someone and maybe said, I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling like I'm disconnected. I'm feeling vulnerable. What kind of response are you getting from providing solutions that can help help people in those situations? But I think there's two really interesting things I want to touch on in, in terms of data and capturing, capturing uh, mood. One is, as you mentioned, mood, mood tracker, uh, which is designed to be a, a, a survey that can go out quickly. Um, you don't have to wait a whole year to see how people are feeling, nor is there like 100 questions. There's, uh, I think, a dozen questions in it. And it can go out often and it captures the mood this week, it captures the mood this month, which allows managers an early warning sign to be able to take um, action, you know, to see how, how people are genuinely feeling. Uh, so that's really powerful in itself. And it's one of the things that employees ask for all the time is to have my voice heard, but then also to do something once you've heard my voice. I think that second part is really important. A lot of people skip that part. They hear the voice, but then they don't do something about it. The second really interesting thing though about um, data and serving is we of course get insight into all the messages that people are writing to each other as they provide recognition, they thank each other, they give continuous feedback. Uh, and we've now applied um, a, a layer of natural language processing to be able to see where the general mood is going and what people are talking about. And one of the really interesting insights was before COVID or as COVID hit, we saw people talking about the need for resilience, the need for flexibility, um, you know, help, help me in this crisis. Fast forward now a couple of months, and what's really encouraging as we look into the conversations that people are having, we're saying, thank you for creating, um, thank you for being my friend, thank you for the compassion, thank you for the support. So it's quite interesting, in six months, we've seen quite a delta between crisis language and language that is about we got through this together and we'll continue to get through it together. So I think both of those go hand in hand. It's about having an insight into how people are genuinely feeling at this moment. Yeah, the element, Derek, you mentioned a specific phrase, you mentioned like early warning or early signals here, right? And understanding how people are feeling. And I think that's so important because I think in a traditional environment, we might only discover or become alerted to the fact that a given person might be having some issues because we only see the backside of it. We see the, the lagging indicators, like maybe their performance is actually slipping or they have some absenteeism issues or some lateness issues or you exactly. know, maybe some interpersonal conflict in the workplace. And had we now with the ability to check in with these people on a regular basis, on a regular cadence, ask and just genuinely ask them how they're feeling, we can discover perhaps, hey, this person might be needing some support, maybe needing some help, maybe needing just an arm around the shoulder, virtually, if you will, right? To just help encourage them along. Before things get 
maybe worsen and get difficult to repair. Exactly. I mean, I think it's the one big lesson we, we learn as humans is, is you've got to have that outreach. You've got to be looking for people's genuine feelings. Now, that can be quite a stretch for some managers that have been trained to be, well, it's all about the project. Um, but I think if we don't do that, if we don't look for that through that human lens, we will lose good talent. We will find that that good talent is underperforming because they have mental health issues or they're, they're something that's hidden. Uh, and very often, as exactly as you said, Steve, those things don't emerge until much later. So what we talk about in the book is just being more open, more authentic, uh, doing more continuous checking in, uh, spotting when people, and of course it isn't only on the managers, I should add too. A big part of what we talk about in the book is empowering the people that are in your team that work around you to be part of the crowd that gives you support. You know, so it, there isn't just this single point of failure of it all landing on the manager's shoulder. You can say to the team members, let's thank, let's celebrate, let's do things together when we see great work being done. Derek, I'm gonna take and Trish, I'm gonna take just a second to we talked about Mood Tracker a little bit. I do want to just make sure we thank Work Human uh, and Mood Tracker. This episode of the HR Happy Hour is made possible by Work Human now introducing Mood Tracker, a free modern voice of the employee tool built by data scientists, making it fast, easy, and actionable to get to the heart of organizational issues. Learn more at workhuman.com slash mood tracker. And as Trish says, and we say every week, we use this ourselves at H3. And I've honestly found it a really powerful tool just to just think about how I'm feeling, both sort of at work and think about how I'm feeling generally. And it's, uh, it's fantastic. And we've been using it for a while. And, you know, as Trish and I have talked about, uh, definitely recommend you. Yes, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. And it, it follows along with what Derek was speaking about in my next question, actually. Um, Derek, you know, one of the things um, when you're talking about giving your whole team permission to sort of be there in support of each other and to celebrate each other, of course, um, I remember years ago, sort of that term upward feedback, right? And, and it was a little bit rough depending on where you worked, if you really wanted to give your boss upward feedback or not on, an, on a variety of things. Are you seeing any difference in going through a pandemic maybe where this isn't just something that's happening to employees? right? It's not just happening in certain regions, happening to every single one of us. Are you seeing any differences in the type of, of data you're collecting off of these interactions um, that, that are also very supportive of leaders? Because I feel like the leaders are going through just as much stress and still trying to lead teams and get results and all of the stressful things they would have. But are they feeling supported during this time as well? Are you seeing any evidence yet or is it too early? Well, I think, you know, you raise an excellent point, which is that we're all in this together. There's nobody with a magic wand to kind of, you know, solve everything and, and, and provide direction. But I think that's back to, to what I was emphasizing earlier. When we let our guards down and say, we're a team here, okay. um, I think, you know, the strength is in the team. Uh, a leader that says, I'm the coach. I want to be able to encourage each of you to be better. I think is infinitely stronger in this type of environment than command and control type approach. And I think that generally is, is a trend that was underway anyway, was a move away from command and control, bureaucracy, to more of a management style that was coach-driven, we're in this together. And that what I would say, what we are seeing is that COVID I think has made that shift become even faster and even, even, in, even quicker. Because if you were in an environment where, you know, as, as challenging as it is right now, and you decided to stick with the bureaucratic command and control, I think you're going to be lost. You're, you're, you're going to be swimming against the tide. 
Um, so I would say yes. The I think history will show those that are coaching and bringing people together as teams, they're doing better in this environment. I would imagine so. And I remember I have, uh, I just spoke with him the other day, as a matter of fact, a former boss who was very uh, big proponent of servant leadership, mm-hmm. even taking it to that, that next level of care and concern and empathy and really serving the people that you lead. And yeah. I think that style as well works really well with kind of the, the type of feedback and the situation we're all in right now as well. I mean, one of the things, again, that uh, I've seen a major shift, and we chat about it in the book, is, is the shift from the annual performance appraisal to a more mm-hmm. continuous performance appraisal throughout the year conversation. But an important point to your, your, your point, uh, Trish, is that it's led by the employee, employee-led continuous performance management. I think that's quite a, a, a new way of looking at things where the employee can say, hey, I'd like to have a developmental conversation in four weeks' time. Hey, I'd like to revisit my skill set, you know, uh, my soft skill analysis. Can we do that in eight weeks' time? So what we're finding that we're rolling out with a lot of our clients is the employee-driven continuous performance management. So it's a shift from, again, that the manager has to somehow be perfect, and know when to do everything. Instead, it's offering a degree of trust to all of the people that we work with. Because when people are given that trust, you know, nine out of 10 times, they know what to do with it. They know how to run with it. Derek, that's such an important point and a distinction, right? Because I recall back I don't know, five, six years ago when kind of one of the dominant conversations in the HR and HR management space was the elimination of the annual performance review, right? Because we finally all come to the fact that it's ineffective, imperfect, everybody hates it, managers are, are terrible about creating them. But the initial wave of that um, elimination of the annual performance review seemed to be replaced by, okay, manager, give a weekly performance review, quote unquote, or, yes. or give a, a daily check-in. So take this thing that we all hated, everyone was bad at, no one drove any value from it, and do it over and over and over again. Like, the same, largely the same way we always did it. So I love the perspective of saying, hey, let's, let's turn this around. Let's shift the focus to make this an employee-led process, an employee ownership of the process. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only way it can be. Otherwise, yeah. it's just more of the thing we hate. Absolutely. And added to that is being positivity-led. You know, I mentioned earlier that you've got to earn the right to give the harder feedback. Um, And what we know from our research is that positivity is 30 times more powerful than that one kind of niggling negative comment. (laughs) So if you're building that base of positivity, you earn the right as a trusted human being that I work with to be able to give me plenty of other encouragement and feedback or, or, or course correction too. Yeah, I agree. I can, I'll give a little tip um, and a shout out to, I worked at St. Louis Children's Hospital years ago, and they had a really fun way to work that positivity into our feedback. And it was definitely employee driven. And I, we didn't think of it that way at the time, but as you're describing it, I'm like, oh my gosh, we did this. So yeah. at the end of every meeting, every meeting, um, and meetings were only as long as you needed them to be first and foremost. So It wasn't like it had to be 30 minutes, had to be an hour. It could be a 17 minute meeting, totally fine. But at the end, you ended with what went well, which a lot of us are used to, but what was the even better if? Even better if, this meeting would have been even better if, or that project would be even better if. And so you were giving permission to your colleagues to give you constructive criticism 
but it was in such a way you never felt like you were doing something wrong or you had missed something so obvious. It was just like, oh, well, you know what? That one thing you did on that project would be even better if you did this or that. And it changed the whole way that we communicated with each other. And that feeling when you left the meeting, you never felt like you were being beat up, even if you should have been a little bit. <laughs> so it, I think you're right. The, the point about positivity, and I had no idea it was such a huge impact. Would you, 30 times you said more? That's, uh, that's pretty major. I love it. Derek, I wanted one more question for me on the book itself, Making Working Humans available on Amazon or other places you get books. Are, are there other places you can get a book other than Amazon? There probably are. I'm not aware of them anymore. But um, one of the things in the book, Derek, each chapter starts with a quote from an HR business leader that you guys selected, I think, purposefully. I wonder if you could share one or two of those or maybe one that stands out to you as important and kind of helps uh, cement some of the points you're making. Yes. Well, I'm reminded a little bit uh, as, as Patricia's um, example of Bay State Health. Um, Jennifer Faulkner at Bay State Health tells a lovely story about a gardener who cuts the lawns in front of their hospitals, tends the flowers. And one day he received a reward, a recognition from one of the senior surgeons in the hospital. And she was able to share how Patients constantly, when they come into my surgery, tell me what beautiful grounds you've got, how well manicured they are, how beautiful they are. So here's the surgeon feeding back to the gardener. You are a fundamental part of healthcare at our establishment. What you do signals to incoming patients that we genuinely care. It gives them a mood lift. And I think what a beautiful story in terms of it's created human connection between people that probably otherwise just walked past each other in the garden as somebody was parking their car and somebody was mowing a lawn. Now they've got a human connection. And they both see the purpose of Bay State Health, which is to boost patient health, to boost patient care. And I think that's a lovely, perfect example of how positive feedback creates connection, human moments that matter, and purpose, and so many other good things that come out of that as a consequence. Because here I am even telling the story about it. <laughs> Um, but also, actually, when we look into the data, I'm reminded, too, that Bay State Health, after they launched the recognition program, saw a 3% boost in patient satisfaction scores. So it goes all the way around because the people feel better, they feel more connected, the patients also uh, feel better, too. I was going to say, I love that you can kind of close the loop on that, too, because it's, it's sometimes we, in human resources, we chase a result right? We want positive, not even just human resources, leaders in general, right? We chase a result. We want this number higher or that number higher. And it's interesting that you can just not sort of worry about that number if you're just doing the right things to make people feel truly connected to what they're doing and why they're there. The result just happens so naturally. And like you said here, you're sharing the story, you know, to give a, I'm sure there are so many others within that healthcare system. Um, That, well, that think, would and, make that change. And, and that's the magic, is doing that at scale, creating these moments of human connection at scale. You know, we know how to do it as humans, but in work, we just haven't been doing it often enough. You know, our research shows that a, a majority of employees are never thanked throughout an entire calendar year. And I just find that a disgraceful figure. I feel embarrassed to be in human resources when I see that figure. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, Yeah, that's such an important point, Eric. And I think the other thing about that specific story I just wanted to comment on really quickly is 
um, it demonstrates really how powerful that connection can be between someone in the organization like that senior surgeon who I've not worked in healthcare, but I imagine the senior surgeon at a hospital is kind of a daunting figure, maybe a, an intimidating figure, perhaps, depending on, you know, how, they're, they're, how they carry themselves, et cetera. The ability for that person in the organization, such you would think this high prestige, right, person connecting to the gardener in that one-to-one -one personal level, I think is, that's an, a great part of the story as well. Yeah, I think with any organization too, if you can help um, in your HR team, making those connections between the most senior leaders who might seem intimidating with people that they might not naturally have those connections with, that's also important. Um, I mentioned working in, in the children's hospital. We saw that all the time. Often when a surgeon or someone is, is a little more distant, they might have just lost a patient. They might have just came off of a, you know, an 18 hour surgery or something like that. And the rest of us in the organization don't know the pressures sometimes that our leaders are under, not, if, not even just in healthcare, right? Any leaders right now are dealing with quite a lot in addition to their own, you know, issues with family care and, and the pandemic in general. So I would, I would say it definitely goes both ways. I love the, the ability to have like you said, Derek, where it's like employee-owned, employee-led, because they can also take some um, responsibility in, in being that team member who might be the one who needs to lift up your leader that day. And you might not even realize you're doing it, but so important. Yeah, they carry a big weight. Yeah, we just have a couple more minutes with you. I think I will maybe kind of wrap with this. Uh, we're seven months into this really tough situation around the world and in workplaces and what we're dealing with all in our personal lives and our professional lives. Kind of as you look forward, right, as, as we all want to try to look ahead and, and, and think about uh, things getting better, perhaps into, into 2021 and beyond, what are some of the things you're thinking about perhaps working on or working with uh, uh, clients about to, hey, here's what, this is what excites us about uh, the next uh, little while into well, definitely what excites me is that I think right now we're creating the future of work. We're creating the next generation of practices. You know, this has been a, a pivotal moment to bring forward a whole slew of new ideas. We don't have to go back to exactly how we were before. And specifically, um, one of the things that uh, used to happen at the end of the Work Human Live conference all the time was people would say to us, we buy into this humanity work. We want to do it more. But what can we do next? What can I practically do? So uh, in, on October 22nd, we're going to be launching a Work Human Charter of Workplace Rights, where we're going to be calling out what some of these new human-oriented practices really should be. You know, and when you think about the world of work at the moment, you think about the need for Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, people being concerned about privacy, people wanting to be valued for who they are as well as what they do. You think about wanting to work in environmentally responsible places. Those are the types of rights that we're going to be saying, you have the right to have those types of issues dealt with correctly and, res and respected. Um, so I'm very excited as we put that into the book and we're gonna put it into our launch event on October the 22nd. It's gonna be a rallying call for all of us who work in HR to do better, faster on all of those different rights, taking things like gender, pay gender equity in the workplace. You know, the, the uh, uh, Davos Economic Forum says it'll take us about 100 years to achieve, uh, to achieve gender balance in our workplaces and 200 years to achieve gender pay equity. <laughs> uh, well, I say that's too long. 
So I'm very excited that we're going to be launching a new set of rights that will encourage all of us to be better and faster by bringing more humanity into the workplace. Eric, that's fantastic. Uh, super stuff. The, the book is Making Work Human, How Human-Centered Companies Are Changing the Future of Work and the World. It's available everywhere. We'll put a link, of course, to the show notes. Uh, fantastic stuff, Derek. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today on the HR Happy Hour Show. Well, thank you both. The pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. And I hope someday to have, try one of those omelets that you described. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Great stuff. Trish, great, great conversation as always. Uh, thanks to Derek. Thanks to everybody at Work Human, of course. Put all the links into the show notes. And uh, chicken enchiladas tonight, Trish, is that going to happen now that we've talked about them? I don't know. We'll have to see. Maybe this weekend. Maybe this coming weekend. I'll have awesome. to prepare a little for, for the ingredients, but... No, I think for this week, honestly, um, this was a great conversation and I just want to go back and revisit. I think we have so many notes uh, on actual things we can be doing to be more positive and be more engaged with our teams and, and to really encourage them. So um, I think I'm going to spend some time this week thinking about that and then I'll make enchiladas. Awesome. Well, great. You have <laughs> a great uh, rest of the day. Derek, again, again, thank you so much. My name is Steve Bose. For our guest, Derek Irvine, for Trish McFarland, this has been the HR Happy Hour Show. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and bye for now.